welcome to Mimeo's Talk of the Trade. I'm Mike McNary. In addition to leading the sales organization here at Mimeo, I'm also interested in unlocking the secrets of sales and marketing. In each episode, I talk with creative leaders to find out how they approach problems like motivating sales teams, structuring the revenue cycle, and fitting product to market. At the end of the conversation, you and I have new takeaways to apply to our everyday life. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Mike McNary here with another episode of Mimeo's Talk of the Trade podcast. Today's episode is Grow Your Sales Team with Better Training. And our guest is Rachel Green. Rachel is the head of sales at Playground. Rachel, it's really great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And uh, you have this interesting background where you uh, have experience and success in both sales training and now leading a sales organization. So I think you're going to bring a lot of unique content and value to the conversation. Well, I'm excited yeah. to, to get into it. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, jumped the gun on a little bit of your, your background, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been a sales professional for about 10 years. I started on a pretty traditional path, you know, SDR straight out of college, and then worked my way into sales training and sales leadership. I hail from New York originally. I spent time working in Virginia, Maryland, and now I'm back in New York. And as a fellow sales leader, I always love a story that starts with, I began as an SDR. The idea of uh, kind of homegrown talent starting at the beginning, learning the whole sales process, I think um, that's incredibly valuable in this day and age. So you work for Playground. Uh, For folks in the audience that don't know about your organization, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. Playground is a childcare management software company. We manage the entire childcare life cycle from enrollment and billing to attendance and parent engagements. Basically, the software was founded with the idea that childcare providers should focus on taking care of kids and let software pretty much do everything else. All right. What's your, what's your favorite thing about your job? You know, day to day, what do you enjoy doing most? Yeah. Um, so we're a startup. So what I really enjoy about the job is I get to do a little bit of everything and it's never boring. You know, some days I'm in Excel doing data and reporting and other days I'm stacked with one-on-ones with my team. You know, I'm doing sales training and enablement. We attend conferences. I work really closely with products. So really, you know, every day is different and I'm exposed to, to so much and all the people I work with are, you know, nice and fun. So it makes it, you know, even better. So, you know, we're going to be talking today about growing your sales team through better training. Um, Let's start with a a big question that I always have. Why should sales managers, as opposed to, say, L&D professionals or partners, care about training their teams? It's a great question. First and foremost, you know, L&D, they are awesome. You know, they come in with curriculum. They specialize in teaching different topics, going really in depth. You know, having an L&D team to partner with is absolutely amazing. I believe, especially having been both a sales trainer and a sales manager, is that management really has the full person perspective on their sales team. So what do I mean by that? You know, the manager understands the individual on their team. They understand what motivates them why somebody would be interested in being 1% better at their job, why they would want to attend an additional training. And also at the end of the day, as a manager, I'm responsible for my team's performance. So it's a direct reflection of my own. So naturally, I'm going to care about how these individuals perform. And you know, performance, it, it starts with 
proper training. You know, I also believe that you probably shouldn't be in management if you don't care about your team's growth and success because your job is literally to pull performance out of your team and get them to be the best that they can be. I agree with everything that you just said. And I'm also hearing more of this, but I want to ask you, SDRs and new sales folks that are interviewing for roles at Playground, do you hear them being more concerned with training at an earlier stage of their career than maybe we saw historically from from newer sales professionals? I feel like I've seen that, but I, I wanted to ask you. Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm finding that really great candidates that I speak with are the ones that are invested in their growth and learning and have a mindset of continuous growth. They don't walk in thinking that they know everything, um, but that admitting when you don't know something is actually you know, a very powerful characteristic to have and pretty indicative of being a high performer because you want to continue to learn and grow and take feedback and take coaching. So I find that those are some of the best candidates that I speak to. I, I think that's really well said. They have a sense of where they are now, like you mentioned, not knowing everything, right? And then if they're a great candidate, like you're mentioning, they have an idea where they want to go, right? Mm-hmm. And they know in order to get there, it's going to take probably a village, so to speak, and a lot of effort and resources. Right. Um, and I think that wherewithal and knowing that uh, you know early on is definitely a good sign and, and has been indicative of you know potential high performance in the future. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. So, Rachel, how should sales managers be driving sales training initiatives versus partnering with L and D? Are sales leaders best as say subject matter experts, or should they be designing the curriculum too? Yeah, that's a really, a really good question. It's a tough question um, because it depends on the resources that you have. So I think as much as a sales manager can lean on L&D, they should. Um, you know, sales managers, they have so much responsibility. They could be in charge of over 10 reps. They're the ones that are driving performance. They're driving morale, employee engagement. They have to champion new processes that come out. Uh, they just they they do so much. So as much as you can partner with L and D, it's it's going to kind of help you be able to be as effective as you can. Now, I think that an effective way for a manager to help train and grow their talent is by acting like a coach. Like I said before, they know their employees as individuals. They know where they should be spending that one-on-one time specific to that person's needs. They can also use technology to help them do that. You know, I love, for example, using Gong because it's really helps me hone in on what specific sales reps need extra support on. So technology is something that they can definitely take advantage of. And from that, that's where the sales managers can see different trends within their team and then roll that up into L&D and figure out what larger trainings and content should be addressed to the entire team. Yeah, and I really like the point you made about the technology component too, because it's changed everything. Not only in how we're designing the ongoing, we'll call it instructional design or training content, but also where we're focusing our efforts role by role, day by day. Right. right. Having that granular understanding of how your rep is handling a very specific part of the sales process, or you know, when a very, you know, uh, we'll call it. Uh, specific topic or word or, you know, uh, um, just maybe obstacle presents itself in your sales process and you see how, you know, maybe one rep versus another is navigating it better or worse. You can take these best practices and funnel them back into the entire process from 
day to day, but also to that ongoing component and partnership with training. Right. Right. Absolutely. And you can actually take you know, recordings and show L and D. Hey, this is what's going on. This is what we're hearing on the phones. This is how prospects are responding to what we're telling them to say. How can we tweak this or how can we make this better? Yeah, I, I love that. And I think, you know, one of the things I've heard from a lot of other, uh, you know, sales leaders recently when it comes to the technology component, Rachel, is with so many more remote teams, this tech is really helping and showing the new team members what good looks like, mm-hmm. right? It's not like the old days when you had a pit five days a week or some internal office setup where you could build off of the energy of the room. You could understand what the best person in the, on the team or highest performer was doing, what best practices to make your own, et cetera. So in some respects, you're on an island, right? Yeah. So something like a gong or a chorus can really drive, I think, um, the idea to, to these new folks, hey, this is what success looks like. And these are what folks that are getting it done sound like. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So talking again, you know, I, I like to focus on the newer sales folks, you know, the, the more tenured folks, of course, always have stuff to learn, especially if they're introspective and, and, and looking uh, towards the long term. But, you know, the, the newer team members tend to be this fun challenge because they're unique in so many respects, but you need to get them kind of rowing in the same direction, right? So let me ask you this. Why is onboarding so important for sales teams specifically, in your opinion? Salespeople are the ones that interact with your customers every single day. So first and foremost, they are a representation of your brand, of your company. So you need to tell them what to do, what to say. Without that, your customers will not have the best possible buying experience. So, yep. you know, an unknowledgeable salesperson who is not ready to hit the phones does your customers and, you know, therefore your brand a disservice. The other thing I want to add is, you know, salespeople, they are some of the hungriest, hardworking employees. You know, they eat what they kill is what we say, right? So you really yep. owe it to your employees to make sure that they're actually equipped to do that for their own livelihood and also for your companies. Yeah, I really like that. And I think the the sometimes the being the first line to your customer and to your audience is incredibly powerful, right? You can torch uh, a considerable portion of your total total addressable market if you just put it in front of for calling and emailing to untrained new sales professionals that are not quite capturing the value proposition, and maybe you're going about it in a way that's not strategic. Exactly. Exactly. And especially today, customers know each other. They talk. We're a very connected world. There's groups for everything. It's very easy to you know, share if you've had a bad experience with a company. You know, one bad um interaction unfortunately can be can have a compounding effect. So it's really important that before your salespeople, as talented as they are when you hire them, because obviously in the interview process you vet and make sure that you're hiring really great people, you need to make sure that you're equipping them with the tools they need to succeed in the job. Yep. Yeah. Common sense only so far, right? Exactly. And I think we'd all like to think that we're screening for that at an early stage. Uh, but you know, the reality is it's a stressful environment, especially for folks who haven't done it before. And now you put them in this um, sometimes, you know, adversarial or, you know, we'll say off-putting environment of cold calling or, you know, reaching out to folks that don't have much awareness of you or your company. And 
it's uh, it, it's high pressure, right? So bad things can happen. And as you said, they can have an impact uh, potentially a longer term, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so, so you know, thinking about that, right? And, and I love how you're concentrating on how things can go really well and why it's important to, to really target sales folks early. What are some success or maybe even failure stories you've seen in onboarding? I'll start with the failure and then I can end on the high note. Uh So I think when it comes to failure, the biggest failure that I've seen or experienced is when a company does not prioritize onboarding and they don't have staff ready to train and focus on this. So maybe they think that they prioritize this and, you know, there's one day that's really welcoming and really great. And then you left, you leave the employees to kind of figure it out from there because they just don't have adequate staffing to continue the training process. And also they assume that, okay, well, I've hired, you know, top people. They should be able to figure it out. You know, they have maybe right. a Rolodex that they walked in with and you say, okay, well, they know customers. It shouldn't be hard to get them up to speed, but we're missing some sort of, some sort of knowledge gap. Um, that's, really what I find to be the most difficult. It's sort of this figure it out trial by fire model. Um, And of course, you know, salespeople, they should be able to think on their feet. Anyone, any employee you hope should be able to think on their feet. But if we don't have clear expectations, if we don't arm our employees or our salespeople with verbiage and scripting and the right value prop and all of that, it can be a really bad experience for your employees. And as we talked about before, a bad experience for an employee is ultimately a bad experience for a customer and to take it even a step further. I've been there before too, where I wonder, you know, they were so excited about me in the interview process. Is this what's expected of me? You know, I thought that this was the right fit, but I'm just not really sure because I have no sort of idea if I'm hitting the mark because there are no marks to be hit. The best companies I see are the ones that are really prioritizing those first few days the first few weeks, that onboarding and getting your salespeople ready to to succeed on the phones. I think that's really well said. And you know, thinking about what not to do, what are maybe some you know ideas or experiences that you had that are maybe in line with the success, or you know, we'll call it the best practices. So again, it really comes down to having people who are deployed to make sure that onboarding goes well with proper training, proper enthusiasm around the idea of onboarding and processes. So I'll give an example. My first job at the college, I was an SDR, as I mentioned before. We had an entire L&D team. They were focused only on onboarding and training. So their entire mission was to get us up to speed on when we first started. You know, We did not meet our managers. We didn't learn about territory until two months of training. And as SDRs, we begged and we said, oh, we really want to know who our manager is going to be and really wanted to understand these things. And they said, nope, your sole focus is to understand your job responsibilities as an SDR, how to prospect, how to talk to customers. To give you sort of an analogy, I was a sprinter in high school track. I love to run really fast, right? And that <laughs> probably part of the reason why I'm in sales now is sort of the energy that comes with with that. Yeah, there might be something there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a little something there. So you know, we spent the last week before championships tapering. And basically, we were at the point where we hardly were allowed to run. And that meant we were so ready to go. We had so much pent up energy that we just couldn't wait to run as fast as we could. So when it comes to you know hitting the phones as an SDR we had so much built up anticipation that when we hit the phones, we just had so much energy 
And that translated into our customer interactions pretty much immediately. So it was it was really strategic of how this company did did this. Uh, I don't think that everywhere you go needs to be two months of training. Obviously, I was fresh out of college. It makes sense. But another company I went to, we had two weeks of training. And then we had a three-month ramp. And that worked really well, too. There was some continued training in the three-month ramp. But we had two really, really strong weeks. And the common theme was that both of these companies had a department that had a curriculum. They had people that were ready and engaged and training us on the curriculum. And they were excited about the curriculum. And that is the common theme between these two organizations. I I truly believe that it can be contagious, right? If someone's coming into a room and treating it as um, just another meeting that they've got to get through and kind of presenting it as if it's uh, content that isn't having a huge impact on this audience's professional development or the, you know, the early stages of a career that they're excited about, right? That comes across and it can totally impact the onboarding experience and the morale of a new team member, mm-hmm. right? Definitely. Let me ask you one question about that two-month example. Was there anything about the two months that psyched any of the team members out? Because I can imagine, like you said, it would build up this energy, right? This anticipation. And that would be very positive in a lot of instances. But I can also see it being almost too much and get in somebody's head a little bit. Did was, did you see any of that occur? Or am I kind of uh, making something up uh, in my imagination? No, it's a great question. So in, in this specific company, we had probably 98% retention. I mean, people That's great. loved it and stuck it out. I have been at other places before where maybe we had a long training. It might be two weeks of training, but sort of a six-week probationary period, if you will, where you had to make X number of sales. And if you didn't make that, you know, you could, you essentially could not graduate from the sales training and we'd figure out next steps from there. And that situation, I think, would sometimes psych people out. Or maybe they would say, okay, I'm not even pacing. You know, maybe this isn't really the right fit. So I, I think yep. you you have to be careful with like what outcome you want from, from this. And in one, it was a really positive outcome. It was get you so excited that you can't wait to crush the phones. And I think, you know, it's just making sure that you have an outcome and that your training is set up to help people achieve the outcome. Yep. I I totally agree with what you're saying. I also think that if you're have a proven hiring process and you understand the attributes that you're looking for and the type of contributions to culture you're looking for from new team members and all those things are are kind of proven, um, you know, you're likely picking the people that are going to come out of that two month training program and do pretty well. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, really good points. I love that, Rachel. Um, So we talked a little bit about the early stage, right? The onboarding. Uh, let's touch on for a moment uh, or two, um, we'll say later stage career development. So how can managers think about ongoing training to keep and retain their top performers? I think that we have to acknowledge first that doing the same thing over and over again after a while can become boring. And that's not a bad thing, right? If your employee is bored, especially a top performer, it's really good to know that as a manager, because if we don't know that and acknowledge that, then that's where you know we run into retention issues, for example. Yeah. Um, and for high achievers, you know, this is especially true, right? The high achievers are probably the ones who are doing great and getting bored first. 
So we need to make sure as managers that we are really finding ways to expose top performers to new opportunities that keep them interested and engaged in their job while learning new skills. I think a really common example is a top performer that has expressed interest in management. What are we doing about that? Do we have an LDP program? You know, do we have a new hire mentor program? Can they do these things and then also decide, do they actually enjoy this mentorship component of sales management? Or do they just think that management is the only next option to grow? Because there are so many ways that you can grow as an individual contributor. And not everyone needs to go on the management track. It's very true. And listen, a lot of great salespeople uh, don't make great managers, right? Yeah. And I think we've all probably seen some of that. But um, let me ask you this, right? In, in, In trying to offer this ongoing kind of development opportunity to your top reps, what role, if any, can third-party training opportunities play uh, in in that accessibility for, say, you know, your top 10%. I love third-party training. I hired someone last week at Playground to do this for our team, and every single person walked away absolutely loving it. We not only had sales in the room, but we had pretty much everyone that was working on, you know, product, marketing, all of that. Everybody benefit from it, even though it was really specifically a sales training. I think sometimes we need to shake things up and bring in a new voice and a new yeah. perspective. Um, you know, we can get really tired of hearing leadership say things. You know, obviously, leadership needs to set the 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 mission and 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 the stage and everything. But sometimes we just need fresh and different voices, and that could be third party trainings. That could also be peers peers showing what they do really well and you know leading the other reps to learn something new that's been working for them that allowed them to blow past their quota for example yeah i think the the new voice thing is is something right i think you really hit something there and i think it's you know the same also in sometimes if you have a broader sales leadership team you know, when you're having trouble coaching a particular team member, or there's a, you know, maybe a topic or a skill set that they're not buying into your particular approach, sometimes it's so valuable to get another voice, right? Pair them with another leader or hear it, you know, told in, in, in a different uh, verbiage. Um, and I think sometimes that's a way to break through. And I think the same thing can be uh, a set of training, right? Definitely. So, I really like that. Uh, I want to touch on the leadership development component really quickly because, like you said, some are going to want to pursue this, right? Some are going to want to hone their skills as, you know, selling into maybe larger markets or more complex deals or work on various stages of the sales cycle. And that's what's going to really get them juiced in terms of development. But there's going to be the folks that want to become leaders, right? So, what role does training play in identifying? salespeople who should become leaders? So I think that a lot of sellers believe that the natural next step for them when looking to grow is to become a leader. And I think a lot of that's actually because they don't realize how much impact an individual contributor can have um, and how much there is to learn and grow as an individual contributor. So I think it's really important for organizations to have some sort of leadership development program 
to help people assess if these are the if these are really the the skills that they want to focus on and if this is the track that they want to go on. I was part of a leadership development program at a previous company and a lot of people would join and realize I actually don't really think I want to do this component of of leadership. You know, they didn't actually want to be managers. And I yep. think it's really helpful to let individual contributors know that being a leader doesn't necessarily mean being a manager. You can be a leader in so many other ways on a team, yep. but without training and exposing individual contributors to what, you know, quote unquote leadership or management looks like, they'll never really understand what's what's being asked of them as um, in, the, in the management track and really decide yep. if it's something that they want to do. Very well thought out and executed LDP can kind of take the place of what the team lead role did for many uh, organizations for a long time, which was try to give somebody this intermediary uh, exposure while they're still an individual contributor to some management responsibility so they could see, hey, is this something I want to pursue? Do these, you know, sort of day-to-day, uh, uh, you know, skill sets and, and expectations align with, you know, my goals and interests and my personality? And I think this is a much more effective way of getting that screening done, right? Absolutely. And when I actually think back to some of my best experiences at work, I would say that it was, you know, some of the individual contributors who I looked up to the most. Um, The people that were amazing individual contributors that were blowing past their quota every single month, but also took the time to stop and check in on their peers to take the time out to maybe lead trainings, whether formal or informal, or sit with you if you were having a bad day or a bad month. You know, those are the people that really brought the the culture and brought the energy of the team up and really allowed the team to be successful. They were just leaders in, in a different way, you know, as individual contributors. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and one of the pieces of advice that I give, uh, for better or worse, to new SDRs is, to find a mentor within the organization that's not your manager, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, those particular, I, I love that you said that because, you know, speaking from experience and my own career, it's those kind of team members and colleagues that have played maybe an outsized role in my development and success. And um, I'm incredibly grateful to have had them. So I always encourage other people to look for those uh, in the folks around them once they're getting acclimated and trying to figure out, hey, what's next? What's for me? How do I succeed? Etc. Absolutely. So, um, I, I really like that. Um, let me ask you one more question about the LDP. Um, should there be a barrier to entry for a program like that? And if so, what should it be? I think that I've I've normally experienced some sort of barrier barrier to entry. Maybe you needed to be at the company for at least a year, and if think hit quota, you know, nine out of 12 months or something like that. So basically saying you've clearly grasped your role, right? You've hit your quota X amount of times, you know, you've surpassed that threshold and you also have tenure. So you have institutional knowledge, you've shown loyalty to the company. You know, these programs are also an investment in resources, time, money, all those sorts of things. And it's, can be rewarding to your tenured employees to offer these additional resources to them. So I definitely think that 
to get the most out of the program for everyone involved, it is good to have some of these barriers to entry, you know, an application, if you will, to really show that you don't want to just do this as a resume item, but it's something that you truly want to learn from and see yourself grow with. Yeah, I think that's, I think I agree in the sense that it's probably some sort of proven skill set achievement or tenure and performance mix, right? Mm-hmm. So long as it's clearly outlined, I think that's an effective kind of threshold to make, you know, aspiring potential leaders uh, uh, kind of uh, meet in order to get into this program. Because otherwise, uh, I think it loses its luster if, um, you know, it's something that's available to everyone and isn't somewhat achievement based, right? Yeah. And also, it's something that helps you attract really great talent as well, because you can tell people who are newer on the team or even you know in the interview process that we really value employee development it's not just going to be about your first few months here but you know if you hit x y and z you'll actually be eligible for our leadership development program you know we're going to invest in you growing your career here and i would actually go to one on ones at this you know at this former company and my manager would talk to me about hey what are some of your larger goals that you want to achieve you know do you want to try to get into this program in six months once you've reached the tenure? Do you want to try this or that? Um, and it really helped me feel like the company valued me as an individual and valued helping me grow. And of course, you know, they were also getting the most out of me as an employee, which was beneficial right. to them. Yeah. Win-win for sure. I think um, if I'm thinking about some of the things that you shared today, most of the strategies that you've put forth, I think you've been really consistent in painting them as win-wins, right? Why it's good for the employee, but also why it's good for the organization, right? That intersection where I think, um, you know, real organizations who are thoughtful about you know, promoting sales growth, sales achievement, think about it that way, right? Where does the, the I guess, the benefit of the company and the benefit of the, the salesperson intersect? And let's try to live there, right? And I think uh, from the outset, you know, you've had some really good ideas here. And these are, you know, really thought out and and I think uh, experienced answers. So, Rachel, I'm so pumped that you came and and talked with us today on the pod. I'm going to kind of sum up some takeaways for our listeners. You know, one thing I heard was that the most successful training programs prioritize onboarding and outline clear expectations for sellers. Also, that salespeople are your customers' first interaction with your brand. It's a disservice to your customers and to your organization not to equip them um, to have good interactions and be poised and ready um, to promote your value proposition. And then finally, leadership doesn't have to mean management, right? There's a lot of different ways to make an impact and explore this path um, that can help you uh, as a a team member, but also uh, the broader group and organization as a whole. So. I think those are really good takeaways for anybody who is thinking strategically about using training to retain top talent. And I want to tell you how much I appreciate uh, you sharing all these ideas and, and just um, you know thought leadership with us today. So thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. If our audience wants to get in touch with you, Rachel, uh, what's the best way for them to, to reach out? They can find me on LinkedIn, Rachel Green. And they can email me directly as well. My email address is rachel at tryplayground.com. Talk of the Trade is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. 
Find out more at www.mimeo.com.